Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined as always by Chris Fedor. And it was a busy week for the Cavaliers, finally. Um, we had uh, media availabilities with the GM. We had, um, you know, mini bubble action. You know, obviously, we're not permitted to be at the Rocket Mortgage Chief Fieldhouse, but um, still, the Cavs were in action this week. Got to talk to some players. So, certainly, finally, an eventful week for the Cavaliers. Um, and we will get into that. But first and foremost, um, I do want to talk a little bit about what happened this week um, by a for what happened this week because of a former Cavalier. And that would be none other than LeBron James reaching his ninth finals in 10 years with the Los <laughs> Angeles Lakers. I mean, Chris, that's uh, unheard of. And I think the only reason that it happened is because last year he needed that break. But like, <laughs> I'm. It it's a great thing to cover LeBron, and I loved my time covering LeBron. Right. I'm kind of glad that I'm not this time because I'm out of words. And as a writer, uh, that's a really really bad <laughs> situation to be right. in. I don't know what I would write at this point about what LeBron has done. He's incredible. Um, I mean, I tweeted out recently, Hayden, that like everything that you always have to deal with when it comes to LeBron is worth it. Like people talk about the concessions that an organization has to make. Um, people talk about the, the spotlight always shining on his teams. Um, people talk about the demands that he makes, uh, the pressure that he puts on an organization, the spotlight, the, the expectations, which can be suffocating to some people, uh, the drama, the sacrifice, like all these different things Everybody that has been um, with LeBron, uh, been part of LeBron's journey, will always say the same thing. He's worth it. He's worth all of those things. Uh, and he's continuing to show why with what he's done with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, it's not entirely him. They've got a new head coach, and Frank Vogel looks like he was the right pick. Um, they obviously have Anthony Davis, another top five player to play alongside LeBron. Um, but everything with the Lakers organization in terms of the turnaround started with LeBron's decision to join them in, in 2018. And, and these are the things that happen when LeBron comes to your organization. These are the things that you hope for. And it's very rare that he doesn't deliver on these. Exactly. And I think you made a great point is like he is 100 percent worth every like, as you mentioned, every little annoyance, every little. Yep. Um, hoop that you have to jump through every little bit of, um, you know, of criticism of expectation. It all is yep. worth it because he gets you there every, I mean, it literally almost every, I mean, last year he was hurt for most of the year and they, and I'll give him, I will give him a pass on that year because, um, it just, he seemed like he needed a little bit of a, a break and a boost and, um, you know, the team around him wasn't very good and that he needed that extra piece. And certainly now with a, you know, with a lengthened off season that he had, um, and a lengthened, uh, mini off season with the uh, pandemic, I mean, mm -hmm. he, he's gotten all the rest he needs. And I think that, you know, that's helped him tremendously as he's gotten up there in age, but still again, nine NBA finals in 10 years with three different organizations. It's yep. just, I mean, 
I could go on and on, but you're right. It's it's like, where are the words? The, well, I mean, think about we, this we, too. We've think used about this. Yes, we have. And and the, the fascinating thing to me when it comes to LeBron is that, Hayden, we have set this bar of LeBron greatness so high. Like the right. expectations that the collective we have placed on him is is so much like we're talking Jordan level, obviously, because that's the conversation that he has put himself in. Um, despite the fact that that bar is so high and those expectations are so ridiculous and, and to some players, to some mere mortals, the expectations are unreachable. But but for LeBron, like he continues to not just reach those Hayden, but he continues to lift them up higher. Right. Like it's unbelievable to me that there's this level of greatness that LeBron James is redefining to everybody. And I feel bad. I feel bad for a lot of players that are going to come after LeBron, like Giannis, like Luka, and these are all great players. But LeBron has redefined greatness and redefined the elite of the elite in a way that's going to be really, really difficult for anybody to reach that standard. The only person in the NBA that can live up to those expectations and reach that standard is LeBron. I mean, you're exactly right. And... I think about it this way too is that like I feel bad for a lot of these guys that are playing in this era. I mean, it's kind of like it, it is a little bit like Michael Jordan. Like, you know, he is going to be far and away the best player of this era. And he is going yeah. to just, you know, so many guys who, you know, who played really well and who are all stars and who are superstars are not going to get their rings and not going to get their due because LeBron has just outshined every one of them in every aspect. I mean, you know, how many times have the Boston Celtics and how many times have the, you know, Toronto Raptors and how many times have the, you know, how many times have these guys gotten to the postseason with, you know, high expectations and then just get shut down because of LeBron or, you know, now in the West, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the Warriors get back to full strength. But um, it's just fascinating to me that he just, no matter where he is, no matter what team he's with, no matter, you know, what's going on, he just finds a way to to elevate to that level. And to you know to reach the the pinnacle, and he hasn't always won it. Obviously, with the yeah. Warriors, for you know the domination that they had uh, with Kevin Durant and right. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. But I mean, even if he loses this year, and I don't know that he will, um, even if he loses this year, I mean that's just uh, to to do it with three different franchises and to do it you know in the way that he's done it. I just I just can't I can't describe it. I can't describe what I what I feel and what how amazing it is i mean i don't even know um i don't even know what's going to happen in the nba moving forward because of this you know what i'm saying like yeah that that's the kind of impact that lebron has and and joe varden our old partner at cleveland.com our buddy um now writing for the athletic i can't remember when he wrote this it might have been last year it might have been two years ago it might have been three years ago i don't know but it was a great piece about just like LeBron destroys franchises. Yeah. And and that's part of his legacy. Now, you can sit there as a Cavs fan and you can say, well, he destroyed the Cavs twice. Right. And you can be upset about that. And you can say the Miami Heat, he did that for a short time because he left there. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these other teams around the NBA that feel like they're, they're championship contenders until they play against LeBron. And then they're like, Oh crap, we have to raise our level even higher. And and for many of these organizations, Hayden, they look at it saying, like, the only way that we can reach that level is by tearing it apart and starting over. I mean, think about the Toronto Raptors. They were like, nah, we're not good enough with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. DeMar, you gotta go. Right? Like DeMar is one of um the most celebrated players in Toronto Raptors history. And, and they felt like they had to break it up. And it worked because they brought in Kawhi Leonard and he led them to a championship. But, like, that's the, the kind of pressure that LeBron puts on the rest of the NBA to get to that kind of level. And who knows, Hayden, what's going to happen to the Los Angeles Clippers this offseason because LeBron looms so large. Who knows what's going to happen with the Houston Rockets? Are they going to split up James Harden and Russell Westbrook? Are they going to try and do some other things when it comes to their organization? Because of LeBron, like he destroys these teams in a way that 
and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like it is a sign of ultimate respect to LeBron that these organizations have to look themselves in the mirror every time they play him and ask themselves, are we good enough moving forward? And most of the times when they ask themselves that question, the answer is no. And they try and figure out, okay, just how are we supposed to get to that level now? And funnier even then is more often than not, the answer is, can we get there? Or the question right. is, can we get there? And the answer is no. Right, exactly. <laughs> because they don't have LeBron. Because they don't have yeah. LeBron. Yeah. Like like the one team that, that was able to find um, a counter to that is the Golden State Warriors that went out in an offseason and added Kevin Durant to the best regular season team we ever saw. Like yeah. that, that was a trump card that the Warriors played that not even David Griffin and the Cavs could figure out a way to match. Uh, I mean, the Cavs tried to do the same thing. Like they tried to go out and get Kevin Durant to add to LeBron because they knew somebody was going to do that. And and that's what it took for those four years when LeBron was here in Cleveland. And again, that's just another example of his greatness um, and the pressure that he puts on the rest of the NBA to reach that standard if it's even possible. I mean, we could go on about LeBron all day. I could certainly. I mean, he's just he's a, truly a generational once in a lifetime talent. But like, uh, when has he to, let anybody down? You what? know what I mean? When he was what twenty three years old or something like yeah. that? Like, think yeah. about that. Exactly. I mean, he's. I've said. I mean, I don't. I don't like to go. But I mean, I, we've talked about the Jordan LeBron debate. My thing with LeBron is that he has been in the spotlight since he was like fourteen years old. And has since he yes, was fourteen, right. has ex- has not has not met every expectation, has exceeded yeah. every expectation right. that he has ever been put in front of him, yep. like off on the court, off the court, no, no matter what, he has exceeded every single expectation, and that's where I'm just like, I've never seen a level of greatness like that. I have never seen it. Just because, again, I've never I seen. Completely a agree with go, you. Go um, from that and. and- with well, him being in the spotlight, too. obviously comes so much pressure. Yeah. And spotlight. Like, a lot of people in that situation would slip up. Yeah. And and at one point, like, the worst thing that people could say about LeBron is that he did the decision the way that he did in 2010. And then after that, the worst thing that they could say to him is that he, quote-unquote, choked, which which I think is probably the right phrasing against the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA Finals, his first year with the Miami Heat. Um, But, like, we give the latitude to a lot of these other players to to make mistakes and figure it out and grow from there. You know what I mean? And, And for a lot of the early years, it was almost as if, we didn't give LeBron that kind of latitude, which which I think in, in many ways was unfair uh, because as, as great as he was, um, like nobody's infallible. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to have slip ups. Uh, and, and I think that's a good message um, when it comes to the next superstar that we want to crown, whether it be Giannis, whether it be Luca. Like, they all evolve at their own pace. They all mature in different ways. And sometimes failure is something that's part of that journey that's needed in order to become even better. Absolutely. I mean, LeBron is just, from from the time he was just a kid at St. Saint, Saint Vincent, St. Mary, I mean, it's just been unbelievable to watch him. And, I mean, who knows how long this is going to go for. I mean, you know. The, You're going to doubt him? You're going to start doubting him? Because I know no. I'm not. No, I'm the heck no. I mean, going into next year, I think they're right back at it with the Lakers. We'll see what happens in the offseason. Um, I'm sure they'll add some reinforcements of some kind. Maybe Avery Bradley will be back after the bubble. Um, but no, heck no. Heck no. I'm, I don't – I will say that I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen this in the finals. I mean, obviously LeBron is a great team, but the Miami Heat are impressive. They've been very impressive from the beginning, and we both said that that's not a team you wanted to face in the playoffs, and certainly that has been the case. Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic. But I think the funniest thing, and maybe not the funniest thing, but the most interesting thing about the Miami Heat is that you look at Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, and like those players were not really expected to do what they've done. And maybe it's the Heat culture. Maybe it's their coaching. They have put on a show, and they have been fantastic. Bam Adebayo as well. 
I mean, these guys weren't like super heralded prospects. I mean, some good, but what they've been able to do is ridiculous to me. They deserve a lot of credit for the way they go about things. Yeah. Um, because, like, this this is the thing that, that I think is fascinating, Hayden, because oftentimes when there uh, is a champion crowned or a team that gets to the NBA finals that maybe people don't necessarily expect, um, you start saying, okay, we're going to copy their way of, you know what I mean? Right. And I think... I think the danger that we run into here when it comes to the Miami Heat is that that people are going to look at them and say, that's the only way to do it. And that's not the only way to do it. There are a a bunch of different ways to to become a great team or a championship contender. And not everybody is in the situation that Miami is in. Not everybody is the organization that Miami is. So I was talking with somebody on Twitter last night about like, oh, you know, the Miami Heat lost LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And, and look, here they are in the NBA Finals a couple of years later. And the Cavs in a post-LeBron era have never been a winning team. And it's like, yes, that's true. But but there are a lot of teams um, around the NBA, not just the Cavs, that, that can't be the Miami Heat. They can't do the things that Miami can do. They don't have the coaching staff that the Heat have, right? They don't have Pat Riley. They don't have Mickey Arison. Like, not every organization is set up the same way. Some organizations are simply better run than others. Miami is a championship-level organization from top to bottom. Um, and and because of that, combined with where they are in location, state taxes, and a lot of different factors, like, trying to duplicate the heat way or the heat culture is is probably going to be very, very difficult for these teams that want to go that direction. And you know how this goes, though, Hayden. Like, when you see a team, quote-unquote, overachieving or getting to the NBA Finals, you start assessing the the way that you run things, and you start saying, okay, like, can we become them? Um, right. Good luck if you're going to try and duplicate what the Heat do. You can't. I mean, that's I, I've said this before. Like, the Heat have some... They've had this culture in place for a long time, maybe maybe since the beginning of the franchise. I mean, they just do things in a in a way that you know the the league you can't really replicate. I mean, I don't care if you're the Lakers, I don't care if you're the Golden State Warriors. They just have a way about them. And as you said, whether it be Mickey Harrison, whether it be Spolstra, whether it be Pat Riley, whether it be you know their their bevy of assistant coaches, um, they just do things there that you know that make everyone in that organization for the most part successful. Like doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter what they do. It's just like it, it just works. And I agree that the Miami Heat, you just can't, you can't really um, replicate that. It's something that you have to kind of create on your own and do it your own way, as opposed to trying to um, to to copy that way. Um, that said, do you have a do you have a prediction for the series, or are you going to hold off? No, it's Lakers. Lakers. I mean, I'm not going against LeBron. I think. I think the Heat are are really really tough. Uh, they're really really pesky. Um, they shoot the lights out of it from three point range. They've got a few different bodies that they can throw at LeBron throughout the course of the seven game series. And and you know what? When you look at some of the teams that that have had success against LeBron, that's that's part of the formula. Having multiple bodies that you can throw against LeBron in, in defensive possibilities. Um, I just, I, I think it's going to be a tough, hard-fought series, but but I just don't think anybody can beat LeBron when he's got a top-five player on his side. This LeBron. I'm with you. I'm with you. It, sh- it could go deep, though. I could see going six. Yeah, six. I mean, I think six is possible. I wouldn't be surprised, Hayden, if it's a gentleman's sweep of, of five games, the level that LeBron's playing at right now, the level that AD is playing at. But but here's the thing that makes me think it could possibly go six. Um, like if 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 you were to go through this particular series, right, and you start saying I'm going to take X player from X team, mm-hmm. uh, and you just do it that way, you would take LeBron first, you would take AD second, and the next like five players <laughs> would, would would all be from the Heat. I think that's right. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So like yeah. that that's something that that has it hasn't shown up yet for the Lakers. Um, I mean, I guess it has at times in some of these games that they've lost. It hasn't over the course of the seven game series. But that's something that in NBA finals in years past has often been problematic for a LeBron team. Yep, he's gonna need. I mean, of course, you need your play. You know, you need your team to show up. But like, you know, he's gonna need a game from Danny Green, or he's gonna need a game right. from some KCP, you know, Dwight Howard KCP, to, right. to play the the way that he did in the most recent series. Yeah, like right. he's gonna need Kuzma to show up eventually, or maybe he's not Kuzma. Maybe he will. I don't know. Uh, it's not like he has showed up much throughout the course of these playoffs. Uh, but but you know this, Hayden. Like the NBA Finals, as you mentioned, is is so much different. Oh, it is. It is. And that'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, Dwight Howard's been there, obviously. Um, Anthony Davis, this is his first go-around. Yep. So that's something to consider as well. Right. Uh, you know, the, I guess you could say with Kyrie, the first year that LeBron was in Cleveland, you know, that was his first go-around, but he didn't make it very far. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Love didn't have his first go-around until 2016 because he was hurt. So, yep. I mean... It's it's definitely possible for those guys to succeed, um, yeah. but it is it is a challenge that's for sure. But I mean, think about Kevin Love in those finals, right? In, in right. the the series that the Cavs won in twenty sixteen, the championship that they won in twenty sixteen. Kevin Kevin was somebody that a lot of people were saying take out of the starting lineup even before he suffered that concussion, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, Richard Jefferson goes in there. They play a different kind of style. RJ fits better in a matchup against the Warriors. And credit to Kevin, he turned it around in time. He was a monster on the glass in Game 7. He had the stop against Steph Curry. But, like, there were times throughout that series that people were wondering, like, does Kevin even fit in this matchup against the Golden State Warriors? Yeah, they were were definitely a matchup problem. Yeah. So so his first finals experience was big-time roller coaster. And it could be that way for, for some of these guys that the Lakers have. Now, it's not the same kind of environment because they're in a bubble. They don't have to go on the road and play in Miami and, and things along those lines. But, you know, when all of a sudden um, you're in a matchup that, that maybe is not as suited for you um, and, and the team knows your strengths and your weaknesses and they're doing everything they can to limit those strengths and exploit those weaknesses – like, it can be challenging mentally and physically. And it's something that some of these Lakers players, not to the point where I think it's going to make them lose the series, but these Lakers players are going to experience that for the first time with less margin for error than they've had throughout the course of, of these playoffs. That is certainly something we're going to have to watch out for going forward, though, because, like, once they do move into get back into, you know, who the hell, first of all, who the hell knows when we're going to get back into reality? Like, the the yeah. the more- the, the reality of, like, sporting events and all that with fans and stuff, like, real yep. fans, not 6,000. So, like, that'll be interesting to see, like, if the if next year, you know, obviously, maybe not even next year, but whenever they get back to the finals, if the, if the Lakers get back to the finals, um, you know, how they would fare, like, playing in that environment as opposed to the bubble. Like, I would not want to go into Miami and play the Heat at American Airlines Arena. No chance. I would not want to go to yep. the Staples Center play the Lakers. No. I mean, you know, I think that's the unfortunate part about all this is that like in the normal year, we'd be watching the Lakers and it would be a star studded event at Staples Center, like packed to the gills, like crazy awesome. And Miami would be much the same. Like I just, it's, it's, it's definitely unfortunate, but it's still going to be fun to watch. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if LeBron can win his fourth. That is one. I mean, I, I, if he wins four, does the, does the conversation start to even get more heavy in terms of the Michael Jordan? So it's not even so much the four for me. And I'm curious where you fall on this. Too. Yeah. It's the fact that, you know, Miami. Okay, so Miami won the championship with Dwayne Wade and, and Shaq. Um, yeah. That was 2006, right? Yeah. 2005 or 2006. I think it was 2006. Um, but after that, they were just like, meh, you know what I mean? Until right. until LeBron got there and joined Dwayne Wade and brought Chris Bosh with him. Right. So, like, he lifted Miami to this new dynasty. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back to Cleveland, 
and he lifts the Cavs into a dynasty. And for four years, he gave this organization the the best stretch of basketball it ever had. And then he goes to the Lakers, where they had been absolutely nothing post-Kobe, and he lifts that franchise. I don't want to say to new heights, because they obviously had gotten to those heights, but a different team in a different era with different people. He lifted that organization back to prominence. Like that's the thing to me that if 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 you want to focus on LeBron's finals records, okay, fine, you can do that. If you want to continue to focus on the fact that he lost to the Dallas Mavericks when he was with the Miami Heat, okay, you can focus on those things too. Um, you're entitled to whatever. But the fact that he just lifts every organization that he goes to to these heights where he's competing for championships and he's done it with three different ones. Like that to me speaks more volumes than what MJ did in Chicago. Some people see it a different kind of way, but no, I, I, I see, see it, it same, in favor of LeBron. Yeah. I see it the same way because in addition to that, he not only, you know, lifted the cab, lifted the heat. He also went to the West coast, went to a different conference and still, you know, with the different teams that he had to face. And I mean, I know it's not like a giant deal that he, you know, that he switched conferences, but it's not, not a big deal. Like to go to two different conferences and be like, okay, well, uh, you know, I did this in the East. Now I'm going to try in the West and get back to the finals. Like, and everybody was saying how, you know, how deep the West is and how, you know, how the Laker, the Clippers and the Rockets and and all these teams, I mean, here they are. So I'm a, I'm a hundred percent with you um, on that. And and I agree that just the fact that he's been able to lift these franchises, it only to me, the minute he won in Cleveland, as he said, that was when he cemented himself. But um, I think everything now is just furthermore, you know, pointing in that direction. I just think that the amount of time he's been able to do it, the amount of situations he's been able to do it in the you know, the way in which he's done it, as you've said, elevating, it's just it's it's un, it's literally the most impressive thing I've ever seen in the sport of basketball. And you know what? It may seem like such small things that that some people focus on when it comes to LeBron. But in ways, Hayden, I get that, because, look, yeah. if you're having the goat conversation, it is going to be the smallest thing in your own mind that's going to separate the two. So for somebody like LeBron, in many ways, Hayden, it's kind of like going through the things that are held against him and seeing if he can check those off. And I think you make a really good point for for a number of years. A lot of people said, well, you know, his the reason why he's getting to so many consecutive finals, uh, the reason why he has all of those appearances just overall is because he plays in the weaker East because he doesn't have the same level of competition as he would in the Western Conference. So in some ways, LeBron was like, all right, bleep you. I'm going to go out West. I'm going to play for the Lakers, and I'm going to show you that I can still get to the finals, um, even in the Western Conference, the big, bad Western Conference. So I think this getting to the finals with the Lakers, even though he didn't have to go through the Clippers, whatever you want to say about that. Well, whose fault is that? I mean, it's nobody's fault. Exactly. Right? Win, like it's well, well, it's the Clippers', it's the Clippers fault, fault. Win some games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not LeBron's fault. It's not LeBron's people's fault. It's not the right. Lakers' fault. It's the Clippers' fault because they melted down and it seemed like they hated playing with each other and they had chemistry issues. So I do think when you talk about if if LeBron wins this championship and I think he's going to, I do think it checks off that box that was kind of open of doing it with a Western Conference team. Um against Western Conference competition instead of in the East. Like, you're running out of things to to say in favor of Michael versus LeBron at this point. Yep. Yep, you are. And, and if, that's, look, that's, look, that's the bottom line. To me, and this is just me personally, if LeBron wins this one, and I think he's going to with the Lakers, I have him as the GOAT. Yeah. Lifting I mean, I, a third franchise? Like, the Lakers were crap absolute crap they had no plan well it didn't seem like they had a plan they probably did it didn't seem like they had a plan they had nothing they were going to lottery after lottery after lottery and not and not picking like successful play Lonzo didn't do much there Brandon Ingram didn't really blossom there Uh, yeah yeah Kuzma I think was you know was okay which is why they kept him but you're right I mean it just it didn't seem to have any semblance of getting somewhere big yep 
until LeBron and, made it. So, and the, I mean, yeah, and the one my, thing that would be remaining, Hayden, honestly, like the one thing that would be remaining if, if in favor of Michael is, is the finals record overall. But, yeah. but I think when it comes to that and LeBron, that requires so much more perspective than just throwing the number out there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Look at who they played. Look at, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look at the team that he had on his side. Right. Look at the time in which he got there and where he was in his particular career. Look at how many times he was the favorite versus the underdog. Right. Look how many times. Look how many. I mean, I think the reti- like the fact that he was able to retire and take years off. I mean, it, I'm sure that certainly helped his body. I don't think that hurt him at all. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We could talk about. I mean, there's there there are people that are just Jordan stands and fans. And there are people that sure. are less LeBron stands and fans. So it'll always be a debate. But yep. uh, I saw Isaiah. I said, what did Isaiah say? Because Isaiah hates the Michael Jordan anyway. So he said something along the lines <laughs> of, well, you know, um, Kareem was the best to do it or something. But now if right. LeBron wins, he'll be the best. Yeah, of course. Of course. I love it. Um, all right. Now we that we've gotten all the LeBron talk out of the way because I, you know, it's just fascinating to talk about. And he'll no matter what. I mean, I know this is a Cavs podcast, but he is always going to be a part of Cavalier, like any part of the Cavalier discussion, just because he's he is essentially the franchise. I mean, you oh. know, he, like by far the best player in the franchise history. By just he literally he is the Cavaliers. To I this. mean, dude, like you know this. You can't tell the story of the NBA of this era. You can't tell the story of the Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron. So, like right. people wanting us to ignore it, it's just not going to happen. You you can't talk the way that that you need to about the Cavs in the NBA without including LeBron. By the way, before we move on, I do want to um, say this nugget. Um, I remember having a conversation. This is about Miami specifically. So kudos okay. to Miami for being where they are in the NBA finals. Yeah. Um, I remember having conversations with um, embattled coach John Beeline before he left. And I was working on a huge piece about just like what the John Beeline Cleveland Cavaliers were supposed to be, like what his <laughs> vision was ultimately. Because I think you could have gone back and, and looked at his teams at Michigan and said, like, yes, they were similar, but they were also really, really different. And that's something that made him such a great college coach is that he was adaptable. So I was trying to figure out, OK, now that you're in the NBA and now that you've had time in the NBA and you've played against, I think at that point he had played against every team or close to every team, maybe not San Antonio. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um but you had gotten enough time in the NBA, had enough conversations with NBA people, saw enough basketball to have a better idea of, of what it was going to take to be successful. And after one of the games against the Miami Heat, Hayden, John pulled me into his office and, and we sat down privately and we had this conversation. And he was like, Chris, I know you've been asking me about like what my principles are, what my core values are what we want John Beeline's Cavaliers to be. And he always said it's not John Beeline's Cavaliers. Um, It's everybody's Cavaliers. It's all the coaches are going to have a hand in this sort of thing. And I can't do it on my own and all that kind of stuff. But he's like, I know that you've been working on this story. He's like, I want to be them. I was like, who? said, Miami. I want to be Miami. Like, that's who I want to be. And I thought that was fascinating that of all, all of the teams around the NBA, like he pinpointed Miami. He's like, they don't have first overall picks. You know what I mean? Like yep. they draft and develop. It's so much about coaching. It's a system. It's a culture of hard work, work ethic, accountability. And he's like, that's the culture that we need to have. That's the style that we need to play. Uh, that's the system that we need to have. That's the level of accountability that we need to have. Every time he played against the Miami Heat, like he felt it. Yep. And I think that's I think that's a complete credit to to what Miami has built that they've put them in that conversation. Yeah. Um, because you know a lot of people talk about Boston. They talk about replicating the Philly process. They talked about doing it the Golden State Warriors style for those years. Um, but for John Beeline, a newbie in the NBA, to say Miami Heat is the team that we're trying to emulate, I thought that spoke volumes and was just giving the ultimate sign of respect to a team like Miami. 
It does, and they're I, as we discussed. I mean, there's just something different there, and they just have that yep. culture. And uh, you know, Dwayne Wade was obviously a giant, giant part of that. Uh, but even a guy like Udonis Haslam, who was kind of you know underneath the radar, even James Jones. I mean, those are the kind of guys that 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 set the tone for that organization, and mm-hmm. they continue to do so. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with UD if he you know if he retires and if he stays on staff mm-hmm. or something. I'm sure he'll always be a part of that organization. But he's it's I mean you know growing up down there, I just UD was such a big part of what they do, and it's just it's crazy that um, you know that somebody who doesn't really have any significance on the court is just such a big, big part of what they did. And it reminds me again of James Jones. Like you just need, sometimes you need those guys that, that drive you outside, you know, in practice, in workouts in whatever that you do. Um, and that don't necessarily contribute the way that some other guys do on the court, but those guys are huge for your organization. And I agree with Beeline. I, I agree with John Beeline hundred percent. I'm sure he had some of those guys in Michigan, um, and I'm sure that the Cavaliers are, you know, are still trying to search for that kind of culture that that, you know, that uniquely will fit Cleveland. But Miami is certainly um, I would agree with John and that if you want to just look at their consistency. I mean, yeah. since Dwayne Wade won with Shaq, you know, they as you said, they were OK. And then LeBron came and then they, again, they were OK. But now, look, they're right back. You know, the Cavaliers certainly haven't recovered like that. Um, and it's been what five, it's been five, six years since LeBron left Miami. So, um, I mean, again, kudos to them and the way that they do things, because you're absolutely right. They have, they have cemented themselves as, um, one of the best, um, organizations in the NBA for sure. You know what? The other thing that I think is going to be fascinating to watch Hayden, Mm -hmm. what, what does this mean? What does this Miami mean for Onyeka Kongu's, uh, draft stock? Because... And, and I wrote this in my um, my big O profile. Everybody is looking for the next BAM now. Yeah. They've, they've seen the way that BAM has played throughout the course of these playoffs. They've seen how he can fit in any kind of lineup. Um, small ball five, play out on the perimeter, uh, the ultimate competitor, shot blocker, rebounder. He's extending his game where he's knocking down these floaters and his offense has blossomed like crazy. Um, there are a lot of people around the NBA looking at a as potentially the next BAM and, and seeing the way that BAM has played. I really think that this is going to boost the draft stock of big O because uh, these are the kinds of players that, that every team around the NBA is now going to be looking for. Absolutely. That's, it's something that we're going to, well, is it Bam or is it a is it a Kongwu? Is it uh, I don't know. Is it one of these other guys? But right, is right. it Obi Toppin? Do people right. think that Obi Toppin defensively can become similar to what Bam is? You know, because he's got the size, he's got already a more polished offensive game at this point in time. He's got the athleticism. Like if there are teams out there that say, right, right now. Obi Toppin isn't the defender that that we think he needs to be in the NBA to thrive, but in the future, he can maybe become that. Then all of a sudden, the view of Obi is going to be a lot different. Um, I don't know that anybody else fits that kind of mold of Bam. I don't, maybe, uh, probably not Wiseman. Um, But but I think those two, Obi and Okongwu, teams are going to dig more into that to see like, can they become this guy that that is a huge, huge factor for Miami, not just this year, but into the future? He's going to be the centerpiece. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, Chris, we got to talk Cavaliers at some point. And uh, okay. you know, it was a it was a busy week in terms of, you know, what they were able to do. They were able to get together and, and play. And again, it's not as if they're playing against, you know, other teams, but certainly the, the ability to get on the court again was probably awesome. Um, Kobe Alban spoke to the media for a while. We were, we were on a conference call with him. Um, what did you take away from Kobe's um, Kobe's sentiments and his um, answers in that um, uh, media availability? Um, I think the two things that stood out to me the most, Hayden, are the two things that I wrote about. He said that there's mutual interest between the Cavs and Tristan Thompson about a return. Mm-hmm. I've written about that so many times. I've talked about that so many times. I don't think we necessarily need to get back into that. Right. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was that they're going to go best player available philosophy when it comes to the draft. Now, I've been reporting that for months at this point in time. 
that they feel like that's the position that they're in as an organization. And look, I think there are a couple of things that go into this too. Um, where they are headed into 2020, 2021 is not necessarily where they're going to be in year five of this rebuild or year six. And everybody's like, well, no, duh. But, but I mean it from this standpoint. So many people are looking at the roster right now saying, okay, there's not room for another big like James Wiseman, Big O, Obi Toppin. Because look, there, there could be a possibility of Tristan Thompson coming back, and, and they're going to have, for this upcoming season, 70-plus million committed to the front court with Andre Drummond if he opts in, which he's probably going to opt in. It's highly likely still. Nothing has changed on that front. Um, Larry Nance Jr. and the commitment that the organization made to him, and, of course, Kevin Love and his contract situation. Um, but if you start, like, going forward into this, like Drummond could be gone next offseason. Tristan may not be back. Suddenly the Cavs front court looks a lot different and they need another piece or they could feel like they need another piece for the future in the front court. Um, and then when it comes to wing, I've written about it. I've talked about it. You've talked about it. Yep. It's their weakest spot. There's no doubt about that. But I, I can't tell you how much this organization believes in Dylan Windler. Um, he is a key piece of this core moving forward. Um, he is somebody that they had high expectations for as a rookie. There were people inside the organization, Hayden, that believed that it was only a matter of time before he took the starting small forward gig from Jetty Osman. Even after he had a rod inserted into his leg, even after he missed his entire rookie season, the belief in him, the expectations for him, the confidence that they have in him, that hasn't changed. They still view him as that same kind of guy. So they will tell you that their need for a wing, the, the perception is, is a lot different on the outside than it is on the inside because of Dylan and because they feel like KPJ in spots can play some three and Larry Nance Jr. in spots can play some three as well. So they're really happy um, with where they're set up moving forward into the future um, to the point where they're just like, hey, we feel like this draft, once again for us, isn't about positional fit as much. It's more about a talent grab. With Dylan, um, I know you wanted to get into him a little bit. I mean, he's good to go. He looked, you know, any updates on how he looked during these drills and during these you know, sessions. I mean, obviously, as you just mentioned, he's a big part of what they want to do going forward. And, you know, there is some expectation there. So with that said, um, what do you feel or what do they what have they seen so far? There are no restrictions on him. His body is responding well, where, you know, if they scrimmage on a Wednesday, he's able to be out there again on Thursday. If they scrimmage Wednesday and Thursday, he's able to be out there on Friday after back to back days like those kinds of things are really, really promising. We spoke to Dylan on Saturday afternoon, and I asked him specifically if he could put a percentage on where he is right now compared to where he was uh, pre-surgery. And he said 90 plus percent. And the, the, the remaining percentage there is like, how does his body recover? Like he's putting himself through um, a, a lot of stress, I would say, for the first time really since this injury it's a lot different you know when you're playing five on five against people as opposed to one on oh one on one in a gym basically all by yourself as part of your rehab so uh, this mini bubble was always going to be a big deal for somebody like dylan to shake off the rust to regain his confidence to test his leg in a way that he hadn't been able to and all indications are that he's going through it well in fact kobe altman was talking in his availability about a move that Dylan made when he was playing a two-man game with Kevin Love. Kevin caught the ball at the elbow. Windler faked his man. He went back door. He laid it up. And Kobe said to himself, yeah, that's the guy. I remember that guy. Right. Um, when, when Dylan did that in the first scrimmage, when he cut back door and he dunked, Colin Sexton said teammates went crazy. Coaches high-fived. 
uh, members of the front office fist bumped because they, they they have high expectations for Dylan coming into this year and seeing him still be able to move in a similar fashion to the way that he did before this injury is is really, really promising. Obviously, we have to put it in perspective. We have to um, tone down expectations because it's a mini bubble. It's not as hard as what it would be in a preseason game or against other NBA competition. But but I think every moment like this for somebody like Dylan who missed his entire rookie season is a huge positive for this organization moving forward, obviously. Right, just some momentum, you know, just momentum going forward. That'll be huge for him. Um, any other any other big takeaways from, you know, from the bubble thus far? I mean, you know, I think a lot of it was just, you know, good to see them getting back out there, good to see them going through stuff. But was there anything, like, specific that you took away from, you know, either, you know, Bickerstaff's availability or, um, you know, Kevin Love or anybody like that? I mean, who or Colin even, like, what did you take away from as a whole from, you know, the guys? So the other thing that stands out to me, Hayden, when I ask people about excitement level um, for some of these young guys and, and who just looks the most different after six months off away from each other, like the first name that comes up is Darius Garland. And I think that's fascinating. And yeah, look, when it comes to Darius, he had a rough rookie season and there are a lot of people um in and around the NBA that are saying, what were the Cavs thinking, taking him fifth overall, look at what Cam Reddish did as a rookie, look at what Rui Achimura did as a rookie, look at what Tyler Hero is doing with the Miami Heat. Um, I've said this a number of times, the Cavs didn't draft Darius solely for his rookie season. It was a long-term play. And Darius knows that he wasn't himself as a rookie. Darius knows that he didn't play well as a rookie. And he continues to say, I'm back, I'm me. And the people that have seen Darius say he's like the guy before he got hurt at Vanderbilt. He's moving that same kind of way. He's got that same kind of confidence, the same kind of swagger. So, like, a lot of the reasons why the Cavs drafted Darius Garland went before he even went to college. It's what they saw when he was in high school. It's what they saw in AAU. It's what they saw in a lot of these um, pre-college camps and pre-college runs. And, And when you're talking about guys who have such a limited sample size of college, you do have to go back to those things. And because of... um what Darius has been able to show and do over these last six months and not have restrictions or limitations. I think there's a belief that this is a guy who's going to make um, a big impact from them for them in year two compared to what he did in year one. And it's, it's almost like this upcoming year is his rookie season, not last year being his rookie season. Um, I think we can all agree that next year, I mean, next year is a big one. It's just like, it just, it seems For him, like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, or in general, I mean, you know, you look at Darius Garland kind of, okay, that's, that was his kind of dry run. Now he's going to be, you know, have a full off. He has to have a longer than a full off season to get ready and to get healthy and to, you know, work on his game. Colin Sexton, same thing, you know, had a big, a long off season to get ready. Uh, Dylan Windler's going to come back. Um, you know, Drummond's going to be here for, for a full year and, you know, we'll see what happens with Kevin Love. Um, and then you add a draft pick into the mix. It just seems like there's a lot, you know, that's going to be cemented next year and, you know, maybe not for the, maybe not cemented, maybe that's the wrong word, but maybe there's, there's going to be a better sense of what the Cavaliers have next season. It's interesting that you say that because on one hand, I agree with you and I think they're there, there is more known about this group moving into 2020-2021. But I feel like there's a handful of unknown, too. Yeah. Like, as much as people are talking about Darius looking better, um, playing better, uh, moving better, even. Just moving better is a big deal for somebody like Darius. Uh, there's still so many unknowns because it's like, okay, yeah, it's working here in this mini-bubble against his own teammates. How's it going to look when he plays against... NBA speed, NBA competition, uh, some of the things that honestly he struggled with. And you can say the same thing about Dylan Windler. 
Um, and I think you can say the same thing about the Cavs overall. Like, this is a group that needs to find an identity. We talked about Miami. They know who they are. They know how they wanted to play. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals, they know who they are. They know how they wanted to play. And I know that the Cavs aren't anywhere close to that particular level, um, but but this is a team that has to find that. They have to find what works for them. They have to find um, what combinations work best for them. And And I still think because of the weirdness of last year, those are still gigantic unknowns going into this upcoming season. Oh, that's, I think that's the biggest unknown for them is just who are they going to be and how are they going to be? Because you mentioned they just have a lot of different, like they have a lot of different players and there's not like one, there's not like one way they're going to, I mean, again, I guess I go back to, well, they want to be the Blazers 2.0 and Mm -hmm. okay. I understand that. But like, the Blazers, they've had some success, but it also looks like maybe it's not going to be as successful as they thought. So, like, they got to figure out an identity. I agree. And I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know if that just comes naturally or if it's going to take, you know, a couple of years and maybe an even, you know, a little bit longer on this rebuild. It's just something that I don't know how you necessarily go about that unless you have, you know, a, a player like LeBron or a player like mm-hmm. that's going to dominate that direction and, and tell you how you're going to play. Right. Right. Because Kevin Love said it throughout the course of last year, Hayden, and it it was clear, um, but it was interesting to hear a player say it. Like He's like, we don't have enough talent. We understand that we're at a talent disadvantage compared to a lot of these other teams. So, like, we're not going to out-talent anybody. We have to outwork teams. We have to out-execute teams. We have to out-physical teams. Right. Um, and, and for this group, maybe that's the identity. Maybe that becomes the identity. You know, when J.B. Bickerstaff was in Memphis, it was grit and grind. Uh, yep. Did they have more talent? Sure, they had more talent. They had Marc Gasol, they had Zach Randolph. They had some really good players on those squads. But, but like, nobody wanted to play against Memphis because they played so freaking hard for 48 minutes and because right. there was such a pain to go up against defensively. Um, maybe, well, the Cavs aren't going to be that defensive team. But but maybe that try hard plucky underdog, we're gonna fight for forty eight minutes, is what becomes their identity, and maybe that's what it has to be in this kind of situation because they don't have the talent of LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love in a big three, and and maybe possibly Kevin Porter Jr. gets to that point where he's one of the more talented players one of the more talented young players in the NBA, but he's certainly not at that point yet. So while you're evolving into that, a more talented group, um, it probably is going to have to be about these little things. Like J.B. Bickerstaff is going to have to outcoach other guys. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? So maybe that becomes their identity. Who knows? Well, I think J.B. Bickerstaff himself is going to be part of their identity too. I mean, he's going to obviously, you know, your team takes on – Many times the team takes on, you know, the um, the culture that the coach brings in. And I think JB mm-hmm. obviously hasn't had an opportunity, you know, with everything he's been through in terms of John Beeline leaving and in terms of coming in halfway through the year and then a pandemic and then all this, you know, I think he is going to have a chance now to legitimately establish what he wants um, from this Cavaliers team. And, I, you know, I think the Cavaliers are really excited about what JB is going to want and what he's going to bring and how he's going to bring it. I mean, you know, just seeing Kobe Altman, I mean, what he said on in his, in his press conference was, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're just very lucky to have JB leading us through this. And um, that makes me think, okay, that maybe that they, maybe they will have something going forward with, with JB Bickerstaff. And maybe he has a plan for the identity of this, of this team. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. And um, I think the fact that, they're having some continuity going into, like, obviously, the six months off killed this team. They lost a lot of momentum. They were surging forward in March. Um, but having somebody like JB, who did everything that he could do, Hayden, to keep the group together, to keep them engaged, um, to keep them from missing out on other aspects that the teams down in Disney were able uh, to have, like, I, I don't want to say that John Beeline wouldn't have known how to navigate through this, but but I don't think he would have been as good as JB through this time. 
And I think having him is a giant asset for this organization and having the continuity of him with this coaching staff working with you know, a majority of the same guys going into 2020, 2021. I know that there are questions about Matthew Della Vadova and Tristan Thompson, um, and there's going to be a new draft pick that's coming. And there's always the possibility that the Cavs make some significant trades this offseason. Um, who knows what's going to happen in this crazy offseason just around the NBA in general. But we're talking about 12, 13 of the same players, essentially, from last year's team. Like that continuity uh, with this same coach is, I don't want to say that it's going to make up the ground that the Cavs lost in the six months, because I don't think there's anything that can do that. But I think it's going to help the process of that. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. Um, before we get going, anything else? I mean, I have a, we have a hard out today at noon. Okay. I have, a, I have to, I am covering tomorrow. Um, and first of all, I do want to, two ones that want to say this. Um, thanks. Or Hannah Drown has been going through a little bit of a medical situation. Yep. Um, so prayers definitely are accepted and I've been praying and I, I know a lot of people have been so, uh, but in her stead tomorrow, I will not be covering game one of the postseason. I will be at the outside of the Cleveland clinic and we are going to have a meeting to discuss just, you know, some of the protocols for tomorrow to ensure safety and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a big day. It's a big day for debates, um, big day for the Indians. So it'll be a big day downtown, which is fun. Good. Um, so for that reason, I do have a meeting, but I wanted to give you the floor if you had anything else to offer us. And as always, you can find Chris on subtext. Again, check him out. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. And um, as the Cavaliers get closer and closer to the next season, I'm sure it'll be more and more information that you'll get in terms of the draft, in terms of maybe free agency, in terms of you know how things are going going into next season. So again, check out Chris on subtext. You can find the link on the Cleveland.com post that this is embedded in. So go check him out and go subscribe. Um, Chris, as I said, anything else um, that you take away from this mini bubble experience from any of the guys that have spoken? Um, anything else to take away? No, not really. I mean, we've been taught. We've been doing this for a long time. You always have to take comments at this point of the season um, with a grain of salt. You know, everybody loves their team in the offseason. Everybody loves everybody in the offseason. And for the Cavs, like, this is the first time they've really been in this kind of environment, this competitive environment, practicing, scrimmaging five on five. It's the first time in six months. So uh, things are going to be inflated, if the word is right, um, in terms of expectations, in terms of excitement. It's kind of a honeymoon phase, I would say, uh, because there was so much time that they missed together. So take a lot of the things with a grain of salt. Um, but I do think that the Cavs were being open and honest about taking the best player available because that has matched my reporting for the last couple of months. I, I do think that Kobe Altman was being honest about mutual interest with Tristan Thompson, and I've laid out how it's a possibility that he does come back. Um, the only other thing that's going on at this point, Hayden, the, the virtual NBA combine is actually starting today. Um, the, the way that it works is kind of funky. I, I think a lot of people around the NBA are still trying to figure out how it works. But a cab source that I talked to yesterday said that he's pleasantly surprised by the turnout. Um, LaMelo Ball is participating. Isaac Okoro is participating. Denny Avdia is participating. Devin Vassell, no. Obi Toppin, no. Okongwu, no. James Wiseman, no. But the early stages of the combine is going to be virtual interviews. And the Cavs have to make a ranking of the players that they want to talk to during the virtual process. And then the NBA gives them whoever it is based on that ranking system. So my understanding is the Cavs order of preference for interviews throughout this process is LaMelo Ball one, Denny Avdia two, and Isaac Okoro three. And if you remember, a big reason why the Cavs drafted Colin Sexton was because of the person that he is, the way that he interviewed, the workout that he had, he lit up the gym. They're probably not going to have those in-person workouts before the NBA draft, but the interview process matters deeply to the Cavs and the kind of person uh, that they're drafting is almost as important, if not more important, than the skill set that they're drafting. So this is a big 
big time for some of these prospects uh, that are participating rather than some of these guys who aren't. Yeah, it's definitely different. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're going to have it's going to be very, very different to get to know these guys than in the past. It's something that um, I don't envy them. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We will be back with you next week. Thanks to Chris, as always, for joining us. And like I said, have a beautiful Monday. Take care.